Bless the Lord. If you brought a Bible, go please to 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11, beginning at verse 6. As we go to the word of the Lord this morning, I believe the Lord gave me this word as I was driving to Dallas on Monday. Somebody tell your neighbor, help is on the way. Tell them again, help is on the way. Hallelujah. First Samuel chapter 11 and verse 6. Verse 5, if you would. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and he said, What is the matter with the people that they are weeping? For they related to him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words, and he became very angry. And he took the yoke of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out as one man. And he numbered them in Bezek, and the sons of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jebesh Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you will have help. So the messengers went and told the men of Jebesh, and they were glad. One more time, would you say it this morning, Help is on the way. Father, we thank you this morning for the presence of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And anoint the hearing of this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. If you are like me, you do not like asking for help. Anybody like me in here? We have a spirit of self-reliance. And for some of us, it is hard to ask for help. Even uh, yesterday, as we served our community and many families who came through, we discovered in the process that it is sometimes difficult to serve people because they don't like getting help. But there are moments in life when things get so critical, so desperate, critical moments, moments of crisis when you have no other solution but to ask for help. Time is so serious and uh, so determinative that if you don't get help, it's going to be over. It's going to be the end. And I sense this morning that there may be one or two of you in this house who are desperately in need of help. When you look at your marriage, you say, I need some help with this marriage. You look at your children and you may say, I need some help with these children. Maybe you are addicted to drug and you say, preacher, I need some help today. You might be dealing with some emotional crisis and you say, God, I need help. I need a divine intervention. And so this morning we find that this is the case at Jabesh Gilead. This was a little town not far from the city of Jerusalem. A place that was 
dry and arid in a place in which the enemy saw an opportunity to come in and to possess and to conquer a, a village or a city. And so the Bible said that a, an enemy of Israel named Nahash came and he surrounded Jabesh Gilead. And for our, for our uh, um, discussion this morning, we're going to name Jabesh Gilead Beville. Is that all right with you? They came and they surrounded Beville and they said, uh, we are going to conquer you. We're going to destroy you. And uh, the men and women of Jabesh Gilead, they were so, di so uh, discouraged by this news that they said, well, uh, let us have some terms of surrender. They knew they were outmatched and outnumbered. There was no way they could possibly put up a fight. And so they said to Nahash, give us some terms of our surrender. And he said to them, well, I'll only give you terms of surrender on this condition. I want to gouge out the right eye of every man in the city. You see, friends, when the enemy negotiates, he always negotiates toward your disadvantage. Some people think that the enemy uh, or that the devil is a friend, that he is a, 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 uh, co a colleague, that he is an associate friend. The enemy hates your guts and he wants to see you absolutely destroyed. Jesus said the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. And so this man named Nahash, whose name literally means snake, comes slithering into this, this city and surrounds it and says, I am going to gouge out your right eyes as the terms of my surrender. In order for you to have your life, I'm going to have to take your eyes from you. And the scripture tells us that the people of the city uh, without, um, uh, with us being able to understand, they began to cry out for God's help. Because the enemy had come to, direct, to directly assault the work and the purpose of God over their life. And I just want to mention briefly that in the Bible, the right eye represents three things. Real quick, number one, the right eye represents our memories of God's faithfulness in our past. In other words, the right eye represents the testimony of the believer. And so the enemy will always come to try to rob you of your testimony. He will come to try to take those memories of your life that remind you of the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God because you know sometimes there are difficulties in life, trials and storms so rough that all you've got is the memories of the things that God has done in the, in the past. And those memories let you know that if God did it once, he can do it again. Is there anybody in here that has a testimony that knows that God did it once? He can do it twice. God cannot do himself in my life. But you see, the enemy wants to rob you of your testimony. He wants to rob you of your memory of the things that God has done. And he'll put so much pressure on your life so that you forget that God is a good God and that he is able to deliver by many or by few. Don't let the devil take your testimony because I have a hunch this morning that there are some saints in here that can tell me some stories. 
some battle scars that would say, look what the Lord has done in my life. I have a hunch that there's a church in here this morning that would say, God brought me out of trouble. God brought me out of difficulty. God healed me when I was sick. He provided when I had lack. He made a way where there was no way. Come on, if you have a testimony, give God some praise in his house. Sometimes you just have to testify to yourself while you're driving down the road and you're having a pity party. You've got to say, wait a minute. I know the God that I serve. Last Monday, he came through in my life. He showed up in my life. Last year, when I was about to go broke and bankrupt, God showed up and he manifested his glory in my life. Somebody ought to testify this morning. I said somebody ought to testify this morning. The Bible said in the book of Revelation that the saints overcame the Antichrist by the word, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Does anybody have a testimony in the house of God? Preacher, I've got a story to tell. God has been good to me. The right eye represents discernment it represents the believer's ability to by the spirit of God read the circumstances they're in the enemy wants to take your past memories but he wants to take your present discernment as well there is a critical need in the church today for discernment not everything that shines is gold and not everything that gives you goosebumps is the Spirit of God. There is a need today for a discerning church. A church who knows how to hear the voice of God. A church that knows the Word of God. You see, friend, you've got about 15, uh, 17 years or so to raise up your children to have some discernment. Because one day they're going to walk out of your house and they're going to need to go into that college campus and discern who are the right friends for my life. Who is the right person for my for me to be in a relationship with and the enemy has robbed many in the church of their ability to discern he wants to take your discernment and number three the right eye represents your vision of the future it represents the dreams that God has invested into your life notice the devil wants to take your past your present and your future He wants to take your ability to dream. Some of you, your memories are bigger than your dreams. You've given up on life. You've given up on hope. You've given up on, on an expectation of a greater thing to come. But I've got to tell you, friend, that if you're walking with Jesus, tomorrow will be better than today. If you're walking with Jesus, there is better, greater things in the future than there are in your past. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a God that takes you from glory to glory. Jesus never leaves you where he finds you. Aren't you glad about it? I said, aren't you glad about it? He didn't leave you where he found you. You may, you may not be where you're going, but you're not where you started out. Jesus brought you up, and he brought you out. He says, I want to gouge out their right eyes. And one of them stood up and said, hey, you know what? Uh, give us seven days. To pray about it. 
Aren't you glad there's somebody around who's got some sense enough to know, wait a minute, it's not over just yet. I said, it's not over just yet. It might look over, the, the fat lady might be singing, but it's not over just yet. I said, it's not over just yet. You might be crying and whimpering today, but I'm here to tell you, give it seven days. Watch God work in your life. It's not over yet. Come on, somebody. I need some faith in the house of God to believe that God can do more in the next seven days than he's done in the last seven months in your life. God has the last word over my life. I don't care if you're sitting there with a stack of bills that high. You tell the world that it's not over just yet. God is going to have the last word in my life. The devil, the doctor tells you you've got seven days to live. You tell him that's long enough. That's long enough for God to show up in my life. Between this Sunday and next, you would watch and see what God will do for you. Come on, somebody. Do you know that God is able to do exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or even imagine? Just give me seven days. My Lord, I've seen God do some seven-day miracles. How many of you need a seven-day miracle? Well, there was one time I needed to go uh, with a team to, to West Africa. And we needed, we needed uh, to buy our airfare. Cost about $8,000 for all the tickets for the team. And it was, it was uh, Sunday. I said, guys, by next Sunday, we're going to have our tickets. And do you know how much we had in our well-funded missions account? $40. It's a long way from forty to 8000 but I knew that God could work a seven-day miracle. And so we just began to trust God and pray. And then I got a phone call on about Thursday of that week. And the, the man said, um, Brother Isaac, you don't know me, but I read in your newsletter that you're going to Africa. He said, I'm going to fly to San Antonio from California to bring you an offering. And I thought, if he's going to fly from California to San Antonio, this can't be no 50 bucks. You know, this has got to be a real offering. And the man showed up at the airport, and I met him there, and he handed me a check for $8,000, and we bought those tickets because God can do it. I said, God can do it. I said, God can do it. Give us seven days. Say that with me this morning. Give me seven days. What are you going to do with the next seven days of your life? I said, what are you going to do with the next seven days of your life? Because you see, if you need a miracle by next Sunday, you can't afford to sleep in on Monday and forget how to pray. You can't afford to forget how to worship. You can't afford to forget your Bible. If you need a, a miracle by next Sunday, you had better wake up tomorrow morning with your teeth grit and your war face on and say, devil, I am coming after you. Come on, church. Give me seven days. The people began to cry. Help! Help! Some days you have time for long prayers. Almighty God, in your august majesty, seated upon the high and powerful throne of heaven,
creator of the universe, almighty potentate, omnipotent, omnipresent. But then there's days when all you've got is help. There's days when the only prayer that comes out is help me, Jesus. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer? I'll tell you this, God is not impressed with long prayers. He is not impressed with wordy prayers. God is not impressed with eloquent prayers. God is impressed with faith-filled prayers. Prayers that know how to reach the very throne of God. Help me. A man came to Jesus with a son who was grievously possessed by the devil. Mark 9 tells us that the boy was mute and he said to Jesus uh, the father said to Jesus my son is mute and the devil will often take him and throw him into the fire his mama will be cooking there in the kitchen and suddenly he will have a spasm of demonic possession and that demon will thrust him into the fire he said help if you can It wasn't a long prayer, but it got right to the point. Jesus, help me if you can. I believe somebody walked in here today and you said, I'm going to go and see what's what's going on at this church. And I'm going to see if God will help me if he can. You've come in here with a broken heart and you're saying, help me if you can. You've come in here with prodigals in your life and sons and daughters that are lost and hung up on drugs and alcohol and you're saying, God, help me if you can. I'm here today to tell you that God is able. I said God is able. God is able to help you in your hour of need. I love how Jesus answered. Jesus said, if I can, If I can, you know what he was saying? He was saying, of course I can. Help me, Jesus. A woman came to him. He, she was a Canaanite woman, and Jesus was teaching, and he was, he was having a private uh, dinner with his friends, and this woman came and interrupted, and she said, help me, Lord. There was no introduction. There was no formal invitation. She just had a simple petition. Help me, Lord. The city is crying out to God. Help us, Lord. Some have gone to drugs looking for help. Some have gone to sex looking for help. Some have gone to education looking for help. Some are workaholics looking for help. But I'm here today to tell you that only Jesus can help. Jesus is the help that you need. There they were crying. The Bible said that Saul walked on the scene. Saul was the man that God had anointed to be the king of Israel. And he walks on the scene and he hears the cry of the people of Jabesh Gilead. And he says, what's going on here? Why is everybody crying? They told him the news about how uh, the serpent king wanted to gouge out their right eyes. and, And the Bible said that the spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. The spirit of God came upon Saul. Saul was a timid man. 
when he was going to be anointed king. Think about this. We just saw an inauguration of a president a few weeks ago. But when Saul was inaugurated, he was hiding with the suitcases. He didn't want to be seen. He didn't want to be anointed. And God knew where he was. And now here you have this timid man. But the Bible said that the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Can I tell you, church, that there is no replacement for the anointing of the Spirit of God. There is nothing that can break the yoke but the Spirit of God. There is nothing that can bring the right answer at the right time but the Spirit of God. What we need today is for the Holy Ghost to come upon the church the way the Holy Ghost came upon Saul. The Bible said another young man named Samson was going home one day and out of nowhere a young lion came out and attacked him and the Spirit of God came upon Samson and he took that lion by the jaws and he ripped it apart with his bare hands without a single weapon because the Spirit of God came upon him. Oh God, give us men upon whom the Spirit of God dwells. Make us a church upon whom the Spirit of God dwells. Give us some teenagers upon whom the Spirit of God dwells. Give us some moms and dads filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. Are you that man? Are you that woman? Can God come upon you? Say this morning, Holy Spirit, fall on me. My Lord, how we need the Holy Spirit to fall upon us. You see, friend, I don't give two bits for the strategies the church has and for all the tactics and for all the cool things the church can offer. Give me a spirit-filled church. Give me a spirit-filled preacher. Give me a spirit-filled anointed worship leader. Come on, somebody. Somebody that knows how to reach heaven on my behalf. We need the Holy Ghost. What's the use of a cool church? With a cool pastor and a cool worship leader and a cool name and cool slogans where people are still bound by the devil, where they're still addicted to drugs, where they're still walking in darkness. Come on, give me the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will set you free. The Holy Ghost will give you new life. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You don't have to know anything about theology, but where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. Now this is unique. The Bible says that he got very angry. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Last time I went to Pentecostal church, the Holy Spirit fell. They got happy. They started running around the church. Started speaking in other tongues. Started waving their hands. Some of them started crying. Some of them fell down on the floor and started weeping. But Saul didn't do any of that. Saul became angry. You see, because the Spirit of God will often move you to righteous indignation. You see, there's a day when God's Spirit comes upon a church. When that church says, you know what? I am tired of being tired. I am sick of being sick. I am done with being down and out. I am done with the devil wreaking havoc in this city. Come on, somebody. There comes a day when you say, devil, enough is enough. My neighborhood will belong to God. My, my city will belong to God. Is there anybody in here that's just a little bit angry with the devil this morning? 
No, no, no. You guys are you guys are cool with the devil. As long as he's not messing with me, preacher, I'm not messing with the devil. But you have got to get angry with the devil. You have got to decide enough is enough. You can't have my kids. You can't have my finances. You can't have my job. Come on, somebody. You can't have my health. I am a child of the Most High God. I remember one night in Argentina, we had, I had traveled through the desert a long way to get to this village, and I was sitting at dinner with the pastor, and there was a knock at the door. I opened the door they opened the door, and there's a woman there standing. She said, Pastor, would you come and pray for my daughter? She's grievously possessed by the devil. And he looked at me as if to say, just say no. <laughs> we had just sat down for dinner. I said, that's why I came to this place. We walked out into the streets of that little town, came to the end of the street, end of the town. It's a dark field. I said, where are we going? They said, you see that light way out there in the distance? Yeah, that's where we're going. And I started to think, what did I get myself into? We walked across that dark field. I remember walking across the clods of those furrows as they had plowed that field. And we came to a little adobe house, little two-room adobe house. When I walked into that place, I could feel the tension of the of demonic presence. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. When there is a presence of the, of the enemy in, in a place. And I walked in there. And the little girl was nine years old, sitting on her, on her mother's bed. She looked like an aged old woman. And the very first emotion that came to me was anger. As the Spirit of God came upon me, I said in English, not even in Spanish, I said, Devil, how dare you afflict a child of God? I command you in Jesus' name to loose her and let her go. That little girl was free immediately. I discovered that devils speak English even in Spanish countries. Why? Because the name of Jesus is power. The name of Jesus is power. It's time for somebody to get mad at the devil. Get mad at sin. Get mad at your situation. And call out on the name of the Lord. We have too much mamby-pamby patty-cake religion. Going along to get along. I didn't come to Beeville to get along with the devil. We are here to kick the devil out of our city and set up the reign of Jesus Christ. I don't think there's enough faith in this room this morning. How about this? You go home and kick the devil out of your house. Before you start kicking him out of the neighborhood, just start right there in your, in your son's bedroom where you've been letting stuff happen that shouldn't be happening. You go in there, get some anointing oil, and cast the devil out of that place in the name of Jesus. He became angry. I remember when my... Father was a pastor. One day he, he had an anointing service and he gave everybody a vial of oil. And this little lady lived in the projects. She took her oil home. And that week, her dryer stopped working. 
Has your driver stopped working? She didn't have any money for a dryer. She didn't have any money for a dryer repairman. So she went to her little bottle of oil. And she testified later. She said, I anointed that dryer in the name of Jesus. I said, now, devil, you get your hands off of this dryer. Now, I since tried this, and my dryer did not start working. But for her, that day, God answered her prayer, and that dryer started working. Sometimes you just got to get fed up and say, I've had it. I've had it be kicked around by the devil. And Saul said, tell the people that before the sun is hot tomorrow, hell will have arrived. Tell the people that help is on the way. I was driving to Dallas on Monday, minding my own business. He said, Isaac, when you get back to Kingsway, you tell them, don't worry about it. Help is on the way. I said, help is on the way. Kingsway, help is on the way. I don't know what trouble you're in, but help is on the way. This is a prophetic word for you today. God said, your help is on the way. Is there anybody in here that believes that God is able to deliver by many or by few? You look at your circumstances this week, and you tell them, help is on the way. I love this little phrase. The Holy Spirit loves to turn a phrase. He says, before it gets real hot, you shall have help. You're saying, Pastor, it's real hot in my life right now. <laughs> Things are tense. But God said, before it gets real hot, before it gets so hot that you burn up, you're going to have help. When you end up in the fiery furnace, the son of the living God will come in to stand with you. Before the sun gets too hot over your life, you will have help. You will have deliverance. I'm talking about a deliverer that's in the house of God this morning. That's why you can't afford to give up. You can't give up because help is on the way. And it better not be that when help arrives, you've already quit. That by the time help arrives, you stop praying. You stop trusting. You stop believing. No, you can't give up. You have to hold on. Because help is on the way. The Bible says... Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in the time of trouble. Psalm in chapter 3, the psalmist writes, the Lord, O Lord, my adversaries have increased. Many are they that rise up against me, and they say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. But thou, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I've come today to tell you, lift up your head. Help is on the way. 
It doesn't matter what the bad news was. Square your shoulders. Lift up your head. Face the challenge because help is on the way. God is on your side. And if God be for you, then who can be against you? The psalmist said, oh, you know, David, he said, I looked over to George West. I couldn't find no help over there. I looked over to Goliath. Didn't find no help over there. I said, oh, I'm going to look to Skidmore. But didn't find any help in Skidmore. I looked over to Pettis. But there was no help in Pettis. What do you do when you look to the west and there is no help? And you look to the east and there is no help. And you look to the south and there is no help. And you look to the north and there is no help. David said, oh, I know what I'll do. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He said, my help. I don't know about your help. I don't know who you're trusting in. But my help is in the Lord. Yahweh is my help. Yahweh is my defense. Come on, do you have your help in the Lord? Now, as I close, I need to make this clear. Job said, Job 6.3, my help is within me. Say that out loud with me. My help is within me. How's that possible? How is it that my help is within me? But Jesus said the night before his crucifixion, fellas, I'm going on back to heaven. I'm going to have to leave you. But it's a good thing that I leave you. Because if I go away, I will send to you another helper. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, I'll send you a helper. And the helper will be in you. That's why Job prophetically said, my help is within me. Because the man of God understood that our help doesn't come from what we know. Our help comes from who we know. Our help doesn't come from where we live. It comes from who lives in us. Our help comes from the Holy Spirit of God. He is the ever-present help in the time of trouble. And when I get into trouble, all I need to do is open my mouth and begin to pray in the Spirit. And when I begin to pray in the Spirit, I discover that I have the help that I need. That I have the help that I need. I am not defenseless. You are not helpless. You are not defenseless. If you are a child of the Most High God, you have the help that you need. Your help is in the Lord. Don't give up. Don't quit. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Get a tight grip. It's going to be a bumpy ride, but help is on the way.
If this morning your heart is crying out and saying, God, help me. He is here to deliver. I'm going to ask, ask you to stand with me, please. All over this room with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. I just want you to start to open up a channel of faith, of communication with the Almighty God. Turn off the channel of doubt. It's like a radio station. You've got to tune in. Tune into the Spirit right now. How do I do that, preacher? You just start worshiping God. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit starts to bring strength and power from unexpected places. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. Come on, just fill your mouth with praise. Fill your mouth with worship. Just tell him, help me. Help me, Lord. If you need wisdom, ask for it. If you need provision, ask for it. Jesus is the help you need. I want to make this invitation, first of all, if you'd say, Pastor Isaac, I've never given my life to Christ. I need God's help in my life. I'm walking aimlessly and alone. I need Jesus in my heart.